0: Hey, hi, and hello, and welcome back to Social Creatures. Today, I'm going to start off with a controversial opinion. I think that right now is the hardest time to meet new people and make new friends of any time in history. And really, this should sound a little strange, considering one of the top technology buzzwords of the past 10 years is social. (laughs) And obviously, we have a ton of social media. But to understand what I'm talking about, we need to look at each of the examples. Facebook famously was started by Mark Zuckerberg as a young Harvard student whose app went viral without him ever expecting it and launched him on the career for what is now a $770 billion company. One of the things about Mark Zuckerberg that not a lot of people know is that he really enjoys history and has taken a lot of lessons from war In fact, there's been many times when at the end of a meeting, Mark Zuckerberg has led his team in a chant of the word domination. I'm not making that up. That's real. So it's no surprise then that Facebook has grown to be more and more profitable and to cut out whatever competitors it could at pretty much any cost it needed to. That includes the cost of the experience of its users. Sean Radd, Justin Mateen, and Whitney Wolfe started Tinder with what I think was genuinely good motives. One of the things that made Tinder really revolutionary when it launched was what Sean Rad calls the double opt-in system. Basically, that's just where neither of you know the other one has liked each other until you both like each other. That way, you don't risk rejection. He compared it to when you lock eyes across the room with a girl and you know she wants you to come up to talk to her. It's way easier because she's already given you a signal of interest. That was the experience he wanted people to have on the app. But only a couple years after Tinder started, they sold to the Match Group, a huge corporation with the goal to take over people's dating lives. And since then, it's been clear that Match was not as worried about people finding love as they were about making money. And that is one thing they have been really good at. For years now, Tinder has been in the top five top grossing apps, aka the apps that make the most money, like every month. And they accomplish that by embracing what Tinder is for a lot of people, a source of validation that people like you. A lot of people go on Tinder without ever intending to go out. They just like to see that they've been liked. It's also a funnel for people's source of desperation. You know, as it's gotten harder to socialize, Tinder seems like the ticket to love. And so when they struggle to find it, the answer seems to be to pay money for the premium features that Tinder offers. And maybe then they'll be able to find companionship, which is what they so desperately desire. And that is the engine, people's desperation and need for validation that fuels Tinder, not genuine connection or positive real-life experiences, which is probably why the app has a 3.4-star rating. People want to date... And Tinder seems like the way, but it's not very enjoyable. Then there's Instagram. Founded by Kevin Systrom with the help of Mike Krieger, the two really wanted Instagram to be a positive experience. In fact, they took a very active effort for many years in trying to promote the kind of content that they wanted to see on Instagram. They had such a dedicated and heartfelt approach that when they were bought by Facebook, Facebook employees made fun of them for the lack of data used in their approach. Facebook was about growth at all costs, and Instagram was about the right community and the right experience. After selling to Facebook, they could only hold out for so long. At the time they were bought, Instagram seemed like a small fish in a very big sea, with the tech giants Twitter and Facebook looming over them. They didn't know if they could survive on their own, and so when Mark Zuckerberg promised Kevin Systrom independence and the ability to continue to run Instagram but also have access to all of Facebook's money and resources, Kevin Systrom thought it was a good deal. And Facebook did let them do their own thing, for a while anyway. But you can only stay in a domination, growth at all costs Facebook for so long before that kind of attitude takes over. And that's what we've seen with Instagram. It's gotten to the point where the original founders are now suing Mark Zuckerberg for what they say is intimidating them into giving up their product. And now we're seeing the same kind of disregard for users that Facebook started to implement on Instagram. The problem with almost all of the apps that we call social is that the companies have set up their business models in a way that what is good for the users is not good for them. And what is good for them is not good for the users. They keep just enough to keep the users coming back, sometimes even trying to hack their minds and figure out tricks to get them addicted to the platforms at the expense of actually providing a good experience. Okay, okay. So I've been pretty doom and gloom on this whole social media thing. I just think it's really important to think about like how technology meshes with how we socialize now, right? And my whole point is that we don't have any really social apps. We have apps that help us consume social content, social media, but we don't have really any apps that help us actually socialize, especially in the real world. And that's super important. Like that's core to human behavior. And I'll give you an example. In 1978, a Canadian psychologist named Bruce Alexander performed a study. See, a lot of studies had been done on whether rats would prefer normal or drug-laced water. And those rats always chose the drug-laced water and became very addicted, even when it negatively affected them. But Alexander thought there was something wrong with these studies. He realized the rats didn't have much to do. They were trapped in a cage and had no friends. So he set out to do a new experiment. He created what he called Rat Park. Rat Park was 200 times bigger than the average rat cage and had everything a rat could ever want. They had friends to play with, mates to mate with, plenty of food, space to run around, toys to play with, and, most importantly for the experiment, two different sources of water. One, plain water, and the other, laced with drugs. And that's when something very interesting happened. The rats, who normally would have drugged themselves to death, now preferred plain water. Once they had what they needed, and a big part of that was socialization, their desire went way down for the drugs. In fact, a follow-up study in 2019 injected rats with drugs and then gave them the option to either abstain from the drugs for a period of time, but get to hang out with a friend or take the drugs again. How they did that is a little complicated. I want to go into that. You can look it up if you want. It's pretty interesting. The point is that the rats chose to give up the drugs in order to have a social reward, and able to be able to socialize. And that's insane, if you think about it. <laughs> this study basically showed that social interaction in rats is more powerful than morphine or heroin. <laughs> now, they haven't done this study with humans yet, so we can't say it perfectly correlates. I'm not saying we're exactly like rats. But it's safe to say social interaction is super important for humans, too. And we probably don't realize just how powerful it is. I mean, literally think of that. In rats, it was more powerful than morphine or heroin. And we know that we are social creatures. We need socialization. That's a a part of who we are as human beings. So the fact that technology isn't helping us with this, it literally blows my mind. Because, you know, people say we have more computing power in our pockets than it took to get a man on the moon. Like it's hard to really understand what that means, but I mean, I assume getting a man on the moon is not that easy. So we must have pretty powerful computers in our pockets. And yet we still haven't found a way with technology to help us actually socialize in real life. But what about the old fashioned way? Meeting people face to face? Well, that has gone downhill too. It's been a lot of trends that have affected people's ability to meet people in real life. One reason is Americans becoming less and less religious. When people stop going to church, they lose a place where they could make friends and have a sense of community. People also are moving more and more to urban areas where it's less common to know your neighbors. Even in the suburbs in Maryland, where I grew up, I didn't know any of my neighbors, not even my next door neighbors, despite living there for years. Like literally, I don't even think I could tell you what either of my next door neighbors looked like. And I was living in a townhouse (laughs) and the sense of community that we once had is just going away. There are less social groups and clubs and community activities where you can meet people and form relationships. Of course, that's not to say it doesn't happen. There still are social groups where people meet around common interests or activities or locations, but those are becoming fewer and far between. And if you don't already have connection to one of those groups, it can become harder than ever. One of the biggest places people can meet when they're young is school. High school and university can be a great place to meet people. But even then, as the internet becomes more and more a part of our lives, real-life socialization becomes less. And also our comfort with talking to strangers, whether it's on a university campus or just on a bus or in the grocery store. It used to be way more common to just be able to start up a conversation with somebody you didn't know. And now it's becoming kind of weird. That's why I'm so passionate about using technology to socialize because that's the world we live in. I mean, technology and our phones and the internet is just becoming such a big part of our lives. And if we can use that to break down the barriers and help us get to know new people in the real world, that'll feel so much more natural. People used to have way more opportunities to socialize. And so their skills at real life socialization were better. And now that we spend so much time on the internet, it's just not something we're as good at. And so if the internet can help us bridge that gap, like, how awesome is that? So that is my thesis on why socializing is harder now than ever. So then you might be asking, can whimsy really help people socialize? I really think so, and I'm so excited to tell you all about it. And that is what the next episode of Social Creatures is going to be about. Me explaining whimsy, how it works, and why I think it can help a lot of people I just want to keep looking for solutions to this problem. I really think that people are getting less and less chances to meet new people, interact with each other. So even if whimsy isn't the answer, which I feel pretty good about it, but if there's a better way, I'll try that too. If whimsy fails, I'll keep going. This is something that humanity needs right now. And so no matter what it takes, I'm gonna keep looking for the solution. That's it for this episode of Social Creatures. If you want to reach out, say what's up, say hi, you can reach us at whimsyapp. That's W-H-I-M-Z-Y-A-P-P at gmail.com. Once again, we'll be going over what whimsy is and why it will change your life on the next episode of Social Creatures. Thanks for listening.